Amen. May we indeed stand in the strength of our Lord and do what is right. The song reminds me of the words of Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Indeed, may we stand for the right, both as individuals and as a nation. A nation. And let us pray for our leaders. Perfect if you were here with us this morning in Bible Hour, follow up to the lesson this morning in seeking to do what's right, considering Joash the king and his failures in standing for what was right. May we learn from his mistake and be encouraged to stand for what is right. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 as we continue our series through this. This morning, We've come to a section that is all connected, but it's so rich, I'm having a hard time compiling it all into one sermon. Um, so pray for me. I'm not going to preach three sermons, but um, I hope that as we see the high-level arch over these verses, that we will be today encouraged and that we will today be motivated knowing that we have a sure foundation and we have been born again not of corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed. And we'll get into that. But before we dig into the verses what we're, that we're going to look at today, which is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, the end of the chapter. But it falls in context um, with what we've already learned preceding, especially coming back to chapter 1, verse 13. But it continues into chapter 2, and continues on down through verse 3, and it's very fascinating as to how we come from the beginning part of 1 Peter filled with glorious truths of who we are and what we have guaranteed to us in the hope of Christ, continuing then into the practical. It was uh, encouragement to me this week in hearing an old-time preacher who's been gone for many decades who said so often we want to jump into the very practical parts of, of Peter or Ephesians or Colossians, but when we dive into those practical this and that's of the Christian life and we haven't yet reviewed or laid the foundation of what we have in Christ first, then we miss the power that is to fulfill these commands. As a case in point, looking at chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. These are all very important things, and we ought to lay them aside. But oh, how can we do this? Lest we understand all that has come before in chapter 1. So what I'd like to do is start by reading 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, 
being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation? The prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Which things the angels desire to look into? Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all grass, for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this... This is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We, having been born again, having been born again, have hope. And it is this hope that will lead to a life that doesn't have malice guile, hypocrisies, envies, or evil speakings. And having been born again, 
Are we like the newborn babes, desiring the sincere milk of the word that we may grow? And then as having tasted that the Lord is gracious, does it motivate us on day by day? God used the Apostle Peter to inspire these words. And there's some fascinating history about Peter. One of the last interactions between Jesus and Peter had to do with love. If you turn with me over to John chapter 21, Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus meets his disciples there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's Peter who jumped out of that boat and went running to the shore to see Jesus. He had prepared them breakfast, and they had eaten. And it tells us in John chapter 21 and verse 15, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Jesus is going to engage in a conversation with Peter about love. And there's some things we need to understand about this conversation. And we can't see it in our English Bibles as clearly as it is in the Greek. The Greeks had different words for love. Now, we use adjectives and things to distinguish between different degrees of love. But uh, with the Greeks, they had different words. Two of them we find in our New Testament. One is the Greek word phileo, which means a love that is a friendly love, or a love that would be between brothers. It's a friendship love. It's a good love that's between friends. The other is agape. Agape love is great love, the greatest love. A love that is so great that it gives, one would give his life for another. Love that does what is best for the other. Love that is self-sacrificing. It's the greatest love. Now, it doesn't belittle or set aside brotherly love or the friend's love. It's just a word used to describe a deeper and greater love. And what's going on here is that Jesus and Peter are going back and forth between these two words. And, and Peter is, is having a hard time. Remember the last time he had a conversation with Jesus? Oh, he swore his love for Jesus. Oh, he swore it. I will die with you if needs be. I'm not going to forsake you. And now here's this conversation. And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Your, your favorite, your favorite um, industry, fishing, all these fish, lovest thou more than these, all this? The word there is agape, the deepest love. Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, Thou knowest that I phileo thee. I love thee like a friend, a good friend, with a brotherly love. So Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. He said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, agape thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, phileo me. Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I phileo 
thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Simon Peter wasn't quite ready to say, Yeah, Lord, I love you with the greatest love. He was being what we might say today real and transparent with his Savior and didn't go beyond in claiming that great love. But now we find him, oh, 30, 35 years later, feeding Christ's sheep, writing this letter. And he brings up these two Greek words for love. And he makes a distinction of them in the relationship between believers. Look with me. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22, we find both of these words here in this verse. Now, in my Bible, they're conveniently placed one on top of the other. The first one there is phileo, brotherly love. Phileo, by the way, is where we get the word philanthropy that means the lover of mankind. Uh, we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And here we find love of the brethren. Now, this is a brotherly love of the brethren, and that is what the first love is. And considering this, Peter says, in the second love, it is the word agape, the greatest, deepest love that exists. He begins this section by saying, seeing. That means he's observed this reality in the lives of these saints that are scattered. These saints who are persecuted. These saints who are being hunted down and killed simply for being Christians. And he's observed them. He knows that these have purified their souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. These are those who referencing back to chapter 1 and verse 2, those who have obedience, obeyed the truth, the truth of the gospel, and that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He's done the work for you so that you could be purified, so that you could be cleaned, so that you could be cleansed. And all you need to do is believe. Trust in what He has already done. That is what it means to obey the truth. To believe that Christ has already done it. And He is saying to these saints scattered, these elect, dearly beloved, that are scattered throughout Asia Minor, I have seen that you have purified souls in that obeying the truth. And he says this is through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has done a work in their lives and he can see it. It's seen. And he has seen not only that this has brought about a soul that has been purified, but that it has resulted in a love that is a brotherly love for one another. You see, salvation is not a, some fire insurance from the lake of fire. Salvation is the cleaning, the purifying of our souls, our souls black with sin, corrupted, dirty. But yet Christ's precious blood is what has cleaned us and has redeemed us and has purified us. And this has resulted in an unfeigned love of the brethren. You ever had a friend that you knew wasn't a real friend? I have. 
I think we all, from time to time, find ourselves in different relationships when sometimes we know it's fake. But Peter says no. He's seen these believers that their souls have been purified and it has resulted in an unfeigned love. Unfeigned means it's not fake. It's real. It is a real love for one another. It's more than a liking one another. It encompasses that idea, but it's a, it's a genuine love for one another. And this has been a result of their souls being purified and obeying the truth. You know what he's describing here? The fruits of the Spirit coming forth in believers. And isn't this interesting? Seeing this and seeing these realities, and what are they? The purified souls that has come about by obeying the truth through the Holy Spirit has brought about brotherly love. And then he says, so considering all of that, see that ye love agape one another with a pure heart fervently. Now, you might be saying, wait a minute. Especially if you don't understand the two different words and the meaning and the significance of the two different words that he was there. Uh, he just now said, I've seen your unfeigned love, and so now I want you to love some more. That's basically what he's saying. But he's bringing it to a greater level. A love that is greater than just we like each other. Than we're friends. A love that is also more than just a real friendship. It is a deeper and a greater love. And notice here, it's still genuine. It's not put on. It's coming out of this pure heart. And notice the last word there. It is fervent. It's fervent, fervent, fervent love. Agape love. Are we friends? I, I saw a headline recently. Did you know that the world is really fascinated with churches these days? You notice that? I see all kinds of headlines. I read headlines. I don't read articles. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I do read articles. But I, I, I find it fascinating to read headlines as well. One thing, it doesn't take very long. And another reason is, is that you can pick up on things, and if you have the right way, you can see it from all different kinds of sources. And you would not believe how one newspaper or news source will have a headline reporting on one thing that is totally a positive spin, and then you just scroll a little bit further, and there's another news source that has the same story, but you would think it was all a bad thing. So you got this positive and stuff. It's unbelievable how radically different they can be. But you know, the world is very fascinated, it seems, with Christians these days. You know, we're all kind of sort of on trial. We're being watched. The events of the last year, year and a half, has really threatened relationships hasn't it? I mean, families have been divided. Husbands and wives have been divided. I mean, you've, you can hear and you may know of stories that, that have shaken churches, shaken couples, families, extended families. I heard tra tragic stories. People won't even talk to each other in less than three months' time. And so, we as Christians believe this, don't we? We believe. In fact, it's presumed, Peter even here is, presuming that we're going to be friends. We're going to have a brotherly love one for another and that it's going to be real. 
And we preach this. We teach this. And so the world's watching. The world's watching us. Let's see if those Christians really are as loving as they say they are. And is it unfeigned or is it feigned? And is it genuine and is it real? To be candid, the world doesn't even perceive real love. In fact, to give you a little bit of a picture, I mean, even as I've described love thus far, it's, 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 it's shallow in its greatest description. The greatest description of love is this. God is love. I mean, the, 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 the real and the greatest agape love is God himself. And that's brought about in us as we are filled with his spirit, walking in his spirit as his love flows through us. Now, I don't think we have faced anything like what this church had faced or these churches in this region. Like I said a moment ago, the persecution was rife. It was ripping through the land. It was, it was destroying lives. And there was this love and this call for a greater love. What things, what would trouble us how do we deal with these threats of division? Well, I think we need to look here and consider this real truth that we have been purified in obeying the truth through the Spirit, resulting in an unfeigned, real love of the brethren and considering and knowing lest this be threatened that our love needs to be even greater than that in being agape love that is of a pure heart and that is fervently. There's a lot of legitimate issues to be discussed and grappled with in our world. I'm not saying that we just ignore them. No, 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 no. We have to grapple with them. I mean, we just dealt in Bible hour with the issue of standing for truth. We just heard the beautiful song of standing for the right. We have this. But are we neglecting the love that is fervent from a pure heart? Let me tell you, no matter what will challenge us or threaten us, if we are focusing on these realities we will come to a conclusion where the world will take note, where we ourselves will find a fervent love for one another. Are we looking to this? It reminds me of the fruit of the Spirit. I'll be very candid. This is not possible apart from the Spirit of God. In fact, um, the Holy Spirit here is mentioned as being the agent in which this love is a result and if we turn back over to Galatians, written by the Apostle Paul, we have that great description of the fruits of the Spirit. You remember those, right? But the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, is love. That's agape love, the very first one. You see, if we're trying to manufacture this pure heart, fervent agape love, it's it's not going to work. But when we are walking in the Spirit, as Galatians 5.16 tells us, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Maybe we ought to start there, because one of the things that's going to threaten all of this love we're talking about here in 1 Peter 1, verse 22, is described for us in Galatians 5.17 and following. So let's, let's not jump into the fruits of the Spirit, and let's read about the, the lusts of the flesh first, because that's, we'll see what will really threaten it. Verse 16, though. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would but if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, so that strives, emulations, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a jealousy, but for selfishness, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the things which I tell you before as I have told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, agape, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. That's a word we don't hear often, or rather we hear it in our Bibles, but we don't necessarily understand it. Meekness is the idea of being under control in spite of great pressure. Being under control in spite of great pressure. Imagine that in a church threatened by any of these lusts of the flesh. Temperance. Many Bibles translate that today as self-control. I don't actually like that translation because the word self doesn't appear in the text originally. Just being under control. And this is all about the fruit of the Spirit, meaning it is under the control of the Spirit. It's not just me, self, myself, keeping myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bite my tongue. Mm-hmm. I got to control myself. No, no, this is a dear Holy Spirit. I can't control myself. And I'm yielding to you to control me because I don't got it in me. Temperance under control. Against such, there is no law. None of these things are illegal. None of these things are illegal. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Isn't it fascinating that it begins here with this discussion of walking in the Spirit rather than the lusts of the flesh and walk in the works of the flesh, and it speaks of the fruits of the Spirit, which is us surrendering, yielding to the Spirit of God. And then when it finishes all of this, it comes back to vainglory. One of the things that will threaten our genuine brotherly love is vainglory. One of the things that will threaten agape love from a pure heart that is fervent is vainglory. Why would we provoke one another? Why would we have envying one of another? We don't, we're not preaching on Galatians, but it goes on to actually give special instruction to restore the brother overtaken in a fault. This, is, this needs dealt with. That's not how we engage one another. And that vainglory is fascinating. Go back to 1 Peter, because 1 Peter goes on to give yet another reason or another description that we've already heard in 1 Peter, but is expounded upon some more. And that is that you and I, as brethren, well, we are different creatures. We are not only creatures who have had our souls purified, not only those who have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, where here it speaks of us as being born again. Look with me here now as it transitions into verses 23 through 25. Being born again, it says, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. What he's about to do here is he's about to describe for us that we're a different people that have been born again. And this being born again is not anything to do with things that fall away. He goes to make the point that our being born again 
is brought about by the Word of God. And then he makes some statements about the Word of God and also then compares it to other people. See, so often what threatens brotherly love and what threatens agape love is vainglory. We saw that over in Galatians, didn't we, here? One of the struggles that they're having in the church here is actually with the vainglory of the godless who are persecuting them. Later in the, chat, in the book here, we, we learn some little hints of the horror of the persecution. I mean, we've already learned of the fiery trials. And here we have people. Let's be honest. If, if perhaps one of the greatest vices that every human being has, it's its selfishness, which is vain glory. I'm better than I really ought to think of myself. Vain glory. Man oftentimes puffs themselves up to accomplish what they want to do, don't they? We see this very much so in, in regions of the world where persecution of believers takes place. And um, there's a comparison here going to be made between man's word and just who man is in general and God's word. And lest you think born again is not all that significant, wait till you see how it all flows together with the Word of God. Look with me. Verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, never dies, and always endures. Not so of man, so often we may get into things that threaten the love of divisions and conflict and do our opinions really matter? How long are they remembered? I, I found it interesting. I told everybody this morning I read Thomas Paine's Common Sense and it's, you know, you read about it in the history books and, and it was you know, this huge influential little, little pamphlet distributed in 1775 and 76 and um, brought about well, what we're celebrating today one of the key pieces of it all. But how many of us have read it? One of the forefront issues that pushes us forward, and, and it's there. And, and um, I'm not any better than you. I just read it. Uh, but we, we, it's forgotten. It, it's there. It's passes. It's over. But we have both this and Jesus Christ, the living word, and God himself, and when he speaks... Not only is he still alive and self-sufficient, his word endures and is real. And it's contrasted to man. Verse 24, for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. I have some flowers down here. Did you all see my pretty flowers? Some people have walked into my office the last few months and go, why do you have that still sitting there? It's hideous. And I point out the purple ones and say, aren't they pretty? They're still doing great. But, you know, yeah, there's some in here. I mean, looky here. Check these out. Aren't those pretty? I'm going to put that on my lapel. What do you think? You know, what's being described here, we get into these factions, these issues. We have these vain glories. All flesh is as grass. And the glory of man is as the flower of grass. Fall out the way. I, it's, just, it's just a mess up here. I mean, I'll get the vacuum cleaner, Mr. Reisinger. 
What are our words? What is our glory? What's that? This is a little bit harder. This is my wife's bouquet from our wedding. If you get a good look at this, it's nicely preserved, but it's filthy. It's covered with layers of dust. But you know, I, I haven't been able to bring myself to throw it away. Why? Because it's special. My wife's given me permission to crush it. But I, I can't bring myself to, can I? It's special. Why is it special? Well, in some ways, this is a symbol of a glorious day in my life. Isn't it? This is a symbol of words, promises made on a very special day. And you know one reason over the last few weeks, see, several months ago when I first thought of crushing flowers, I thought, well, that would be a nice, meaningful way to crush these but I couldn't. You know where I... These were from a funeral. The very symbol of the flesh that passes away, the glory that dies. The contrast of these, you know why I want to keep this? To remind me that my words be not as these flowers. But you know what? I'm still nothing special. And I still am weak and frail. The vows that I made to my wife that day on our wedding, the vows you've made to your wife, your husband, as time has passed, I hope that the vows are still alive and that your words are still alive and not like these flowers. I keep this as a contrast. Do you see? As a contrast. And even though it's, you saw it, just even wiggling it, it's fallen apart, this reminds us life is frail. Life is short. It's like the flowers that just, I mean, you, you all see this here. Mr. Reisinger has actually been picking up and vacuuming up pieces of this for months from underneath my desk. Because every day something falls onto the floor again. This is, in a sense, what life is. But is everlasting life like that? One of the beautiful things of this, yes, this was given at a funeral of a dear saint. And his flesh, his body is seen corruption. But he's not in that grave. He's alive. And even as I look at these flowers that fade, I'm reminded of the fact of what we read here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Have you been born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God? His word which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And what is all of this? And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The gospel you've received, the good news of Jesus, your blessed hope, the one who, by his word, declares you to be born again when you put your faith in him. 
And it's not just a passing promise. It's not even till death. It's forever. And it's not going to fade. And it's not going to fall away. This, this is a continued follow-up. You see how you see how we have that one practical little part about love that's fervent that began by describing the purified soul that resulted in the natural brotherly love, and there's the appeal for the agape love, the love that only comes through the Holy Spirit from God to one another, and that it be from the heart, a pure heart, and in fervency. And then it, in a sense, comes back recalling and recognizing that this is the feasible possibility. This is something real because you've been born again. And your being born again is according to the Word of God. And we're out of time, but it keeps on going then because now it becomes practical. Now it gets into this all. Coming back to this question of love, you have this reality, you have the purified soul, it's through the Spirit, it's through your obedience to the truth. Now you have this love that is brotherly love. May it be a, from a pure heart, agape love. And oh, by the way, you're born again too. And this born again is not something that's going to fade away or pass away. And so considering this and that, now also lay aside all the malice. See how the love is being tied back in What through a threat in that love? You lay aside the malice and the, all the lying, the guile and the hypocrisies and the envies and the evil speakings. And then it goes on to talk about God's word, considering the fact that it's his word that's declared you to you, the gospel that has resulted in your purified soul, that has resulted in you being born again. Are you acting like the baby who just can't go without the milk? I know what that's like right now in my house. I mean... Most of our babies settled into a three-hour pattern. Our little Joanne, she's still on the hour and a half, and if we gave her away, she'd be all the way even smaller. And we're stretching. I'm not. Everyone's stretching her. But boy, is she getting it. Oh, boy, does she desire the sincere milk? We can hear her. I can't mimic it. She's got this little baby, tiny little lungs breath that just pants for Mommy. This morning, she was all content while I was reviewing things and getting ready, and Mommy was out in the other part of the house, and, and then um, Mommy just walked through the door, and all of a sudden, I start hearing this, this breathing, this panting, like, Mommy's here, Mommy's here, Mommy's here. She's a month old today, a month old, and this is the way she is. You know what? That's the picture here knowing that God's word endures forever, knowing that it's what is the guarantee of us, it's a promise of us being born again and having this life everlasting, all of this. Oh my, do we have that? Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious and do you desire his word as a newborn baby? Wow. It will not fall away. It will not wither it will not pass away. See the different concepts here? That's why it's hard to, I told you, there's four sermons here and I'm trying to pack it all into one. We have the, the aspect and the idea of salvation, the love that grows from brotherly love to agape love. We have a reminder of the salvation and being born again and on what that depends. Oh, all of that you're, you're the basis, the dependence of you being born again and having everlasting life is based upon the declaration, the word of God, which cannot fall away. And in spite of that, we hear so many opinions and philosophies and men puffing themselves up and, and threatening in all different ways are reminded that it's all fall away in contrast to what the Lord is. So then how do we behave ourselves going forward? Are we laying these things aside? You're not, if you're going to try to lay these things aside, just as a note, and you haven't yet been born again, you have not yet obeyed the truth, believed the truth, and had your soul purified, all of it doesn't make any sense. But when you have believed, then you can look and see 
and see the relationship and the love blossom in your life. And can we see it in the church? This body, do we have brotherly love? And do we have, out of a pure heart, agape love that is fervent? Great God, we thank you for your word. This morning I pray for those who have not believed on you, have not obeyed the truth through the Spirit, that today they would believe and be saved, be born again. And it's not just based upon my words or the words of any man, but upon your word, which is as a seed that is incorruptible. And Lord Jesus, may we as brethren have unfeigned love that grows into a greater, deeper, richer God love that is from the heart and that is fervent. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and lives. May we walk in you, trust in you, that these things might be real. We give ourselves to you now. We pray. We pray for our nation and the churches in our nation, the Christians in our nation. Lord, may we turn our eyes to you. May we look to your word. May we seek you with all of our hearts. And may what we've read here today be a reality in this place, across our land, and around the world. As we look for your return, as we look for you to come back. Lord, may we stand strong, strong for the truth, strong in you. And you, Lord Jesus, do the work through us. May we all yield and surrender to you as we hope in you and as we look for your return. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.